Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Reproducer. Hello, I'm Jenny Nelson. And I'm Mark Jeeves, and this is another in our series of podcasts which looks at the art of radio production. What is it? How do we do it? And if we ever have to explain our job to our parents, what on earth would we say? Well, today's guest is a producer who works on one of the biggest shows on UK radio, with a regular weekly audience of over 7 million listeners. The Jeremy Vine Show on Radio 2 is a national institution, and today we're very pleased to welcome one of Jeremy's production talents to reproducer. It's Tim Johns. We have really, really few rules. That's one of the things about our show. We've got very few. We don't even, people go, oh, can I see your radio clock? We don't even have a clock. We just kind of know. It's like music, guests, music, callers, next item, times four. (laughs) I always think DIY is so useful in that if you don't have all the skills you need, do it yourself. I mean, I was doing podcasts back at Student Radio and then they went out of fashion. But the way they've come back and just exploded, the audio sector's gotten bigger, to my surprise. So Tim tells us about starting out in student radio and I probably need to put my hands up here and say I've known Tim for a really long time because we did student radio together at Fresh Air in Edinburgh. You will hear a very biased comment about how great a radio station is. Uh, He then goes on to tell us about his work at BBC local radio stations and then joining the Jeremy Vine show, which he's now worked on for 10 years on BBC Radio 2. He'll tell us about making news accessible and entertainment, what he thinks is the programme's enduring appeal. And we also end up chatting about horses in the studio as well, but we'll get to that later. We started by asking Tim to explain what he thinks the role of a radio producer involves. Reproducer. Anything you want it to. It's really difficult when people say, um, what what does a producer do because they're looking at job adverts? It's like, well, how long's a piece of string? I mean, our industry is ridiculous, right? Because we still haven't figured out how to actually explain what a producer does or what seniority it is or what it might involve. Is it, and does it involve dealing with talent or editing audio? How good do you have to be at audio? What software do you need to use? Is it all just booking guests or writing scripts? Or is it, um, and, uh, and clearly the answer is 
it can be any of those things and all of them. It, it depends entirely on what the job is, what the station is, who you're working for and what you're doing. So I guess a producer just produces stuff, mostly off air, occasionally with a bit of on air. But it really depends on the specific producer job, I guess. Have I dodged that question? Sorry. No, I love it. I mean, of course, Mark, we should have known a producer produces stuff. If only. Yeah, stop it now. Stop. (laughs) You could have just done one episode and had it had ten seconds long. A really succinct one. Um, So, Tim, can you tell us a bit about your kind of radio career? I met you yonks and yonks and yonks ago. Student Radio, which was probably both of our training grounds, uh, Fresh Air in Edinburgh. I think I'm objective by saying it's officially the best student radio station. Oh, definitely. Um, and my job is very much centred around impartiality, and it is the exactly. best. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So can you, can you give us a kind of a potted history of your radio career starting out at Fresh Air? Yeah, so I did. I mean, I, I did a geography degree, but I spent far more time doing student radio. And in fact, as the years went on, I, I switched from physical geography, which I much preferred, to human geography because I found it easier to blag, which gave me more time to do radio. So I'm kind of one of those slightly sad, started in radio and I'm still doing it, people. Um, I know, not sad, I should be proud of that. And uh, yeah, basically I did, I, I did a lot of that. I ended up managing the station. I did a lot of work experience here, there and everywhere. And I was very lucky that after all of that, I got a, a staff, well, not a staff job, a, a contract to start with, but a, a full-time contracted job in radio with the BBC quite early on after student radio. I was a trainee broadcast assistant at Radio Lincolnshire. So uh, I was there. It was very good. Not long into that job, um, a manager who thought I was good at what I did very kindly gave me a chance at producing the breakfast show at Radio Humberside and that was quite a significant moment in my career because I moved from broadcast assistant to broadcast journalist which anyone who's in that that world knows that's a leap you might want to try to make at some point so I was lucky to do that fairly early on and then I went back to Radio Lincolnshire and then I did every other job under the sun in local radio a lot of presenting I did BBC introducing bit of reporting and my actual full-time proper job was station sound producer so a lot of my time was just making trails and sorting out jingles and doing all the, the geeky bits. Um, yeah, and then basically from that, I was, that was about six years all in and then I got a lucky break and moved across the Radio 2 to be a producer at Jeremy Vine, which I've just terrifyingly marked 10 years in. So that's where I am now. Wow. Was there a celebration? No, no one noticed. I just got an email <laughs> from LinkedIn. Oh, right. Well, that's always helpful. Always helpful. And I should have really asked, like, to go back a step, before you started Edinburgh Uni, had you grown up, you know, being fascinated by the radio? What what made you want to join student radio in the first place? Subconsciously, I think, is the answer. I look back and I reflect on that. And um, I never quite knew what I wanted to do, which is why I did a geography degree. <laughs> geography is very good if you're doing it now. It's fine. It's teaching is a good career. Um but I, I look back and I realise I had like an early learning centre tape recorder and I, I found an old thing of me going, duh, 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 now the weather and all that kind of stuff. And then I found an old, you know, when they ask you, oh, what do you think of this shape? Do you like talking to people? And then they tell you what job you should do as a career. I did one of those things at school and it told me I should be a farm manager. Oh. Um, but I noticed at the end it said, anything else you're interested in? And I'd, I'd written like, oh, BBC journalist. Um Oh, the, the other clue was whilst I was at school, I, I managed to like get myself signed on to go to some talk at the BBC. I think I was a bit obsessed with the BBC. 
And then when I finished university, I think deep down I wanted to work in news, but I didn't have the confidence to think there's no way I could be a BBC journalist. That just seemed like like impossible. So I did the radio thing and got into production. I just kind of wormed my way and worked my way towards news and just fell there as it happens. But I, I think it is what I wanted to do. Deep down, all along, I just couldn't quite believe that I could ever achieve that, I suppose. There's a farm somewhere, Tim, that is is lacking. Because crying out, for crying me. out there. That's right. <laughs> Though actually, sometimes producing shows is like herding sheep. So maybe actually the, the two are linked. And you've kind of potted that history really well. What's been your proudest moment? You think as a producer when you did finally get to your producer point? Can I give you two answers: a boring one and a more fun one? You, you go for your life. <laughs> I guess the boring one, I don't mean to sound sanctimonious, but working on a news programme where you feel like you've done something that was both good and proper and engaging output and also the wider purpose of the point of journalism, what the BBC does and all that. Um, And as part of uh, what is production? Well, in my case, it's also making some short packages and doing some um, degree of reporting on the programme. Um, And I once made a package that particularly stands out where basically in a morning I managed to gather five climate scientists together to give an appraisal basically of climate change and global warming but long before it was kind of trendy to do that right you know this was back in the kind of oh let's book one on both sides about the heating of the planet yeah um and it was just a small moment that went largely unnoticed but for me um i guess i thought oh that's worthy that's good and i've just put the experts and it was all dressed up in a snappy three minutes and it was just i just felt that's kind of i'm proudest of stuff like that yeah um, equally, I worked with a colleague on... We did a retrospective of 10 years since the financial crash. I mean, wow, how showbiz, but I was, I was proud of that, you know? It is. <laughs> we did a good job. It is those things that make you proud, though, because, you know, you put a lot of work and effort into them, and sometimes they're only played once. I think Kenny Everett yeah. said that once. He, he said it, uh, he gets the most, had the most fun of making something that took him all day to make, and it what, got played on the air once, and it lasted 10 seconds. And it's, yeah, that's... But that's <laughs> he, knew. he knew. He knew. And that's kind of what we do. Uh, those are your proudest moments. Who have been the biggest influences, would you say, on your career so far? It's probably the people I've met along the way, rather than the big famous names out there. I always struggle to think of famous names. People always go, oh, who have you met at Radio 2? I go, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know. I should really keep a list. I've been saying that for 10 years. Um, but I guess the biggest influences for me in radio are the, the people I've worked with, I guess. And I don't. it's, it's always difficult naming names because then there's people you don't name. Yeah. But I will mention William Wright at Radio Lincolnshire. Um, he's He was... I worked with him the most as a broadcast assistant, and he he just got on and did his um, drive time program, didn't cause too much of a fuss. He was never like really seeking the fame or the glory, but he was so creative and he really applied a creative thought to every last link, even like a little tray, you know, a talk up before a bit of music, before the item, he might put more thought and time into that than the item itself. And just as someone young and impressionable, I learned a lot from him. And then the other person I guess I would single out is my editor of nearly 10 years he recently retired on Jeremy Vine Phil Jones he was um again just really creative didn't do things by the book quite a maverick and anyone who knows him will raise an eyebrow at that um and again just yeah broke the mold and all the kind of rules and regulations about how you do this that or who should do what or anything he just didn't really care Mm. he's just like oh you're good at that you do that and any item can be about anything and involve anyone in any way and it was just 
yeah, I learned I learned a lot from him. Yeah, sounds like it gave you a lot of creative freedom there as well. And um, interesting, you mentioned William, who's who's still on still on air now. I think at BBC Lincolnshire, he's been there a long time. Hasn't he? Um, what's the most significant lesson do you think you've ever learned in your career, Tim? Oh, that's a hard question. It is a hard question, but I think it's worthwhile because, of course, we have people listening to this podcast, and there are people listening to this podcast who are who want to get into radio. So, what we're trying to do is do some shortcuts. The most important thing in radio production is common sense. Oh, we haven't had that one. I think the more the the older and less wise I get, um, the harder I find it to answer any question about advice and tips and everything else. Because like, the more I realise all the stuff I'd previously learned is all partly nonsense. Right. And the most important thing is just the, the stuff you can't teach. You need the skills and it's good to learn them, but just common sense in a in abundance um and just being affable and if you're working with whatever celebrities or in shows that need energy you just need to have that energy if you're working in news you know you didn't need to just be interested in politics in the first place but and then on top of that you just need common sense so there's a secret <laughs> listen that's a great one actually so tim can you take us through a typical day working on jeremy vine's show and by that i mean you know, could you give us a bit of a background about what the te- who is in the team, what the different roles are, what you specifically do? How does it work before the show starts at midday? How, what is it that you guys are doing? How does how, how does it all work? Well, there's uh, there's no typical day, Jenny, because every day is different. <laughs> Sorry, and that's why I love radio. No, no, I'm I'm not mocking you. I'm mocking myself because we all say it, don't we? Every day, no day is the same. Um, in seriousness, that is true. Every day is quite different. So we do we only do four topics a day and they can vary massively. And we do do some light stuff, we do some funny stuff, we do a lot of serious stuff and a lot of politics. So it can be really varied what you end up doing. But but basically the team gets in around half seven. We have a meeting at eight, ten every day, have done for years. The uh, small team of producers, maybe there'll be four or five of us in that meeting. We take it in turns to pitch what we think we should cover that day on the programme. Um, the editor, the person in charge of that show that day, says, right, we'll do this, 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 and this. And then we have from about 9 o'clock until 10.50-ish to uh, find our guests, um, write scripts, book the, book the guests, book the logistics, how we talk to them and all that, do any background briefing we need to do um, and put that brief together. Jeremy currently does his Channel 5 programme on telly in the mornings. So he gets to us just before 11 a.m., at which point we'll brief him on the stories, run through. 11.30, he has a trail with Ken Bruce on air, says what we're doing. And from there, the um, the kind of phone-in half of our programme kicks into operation and people start getting in touch. And then it's all hands on deck from the most senior to the most junior on the team, and we're just processing comment, looking for amazing stories and calling people back, checking if they're going to be great on air and, and just getting good people to air. And that carries on till 2 o'clock. And in the afternoons, there's we all have slightly different working patterns, but... You know, some people work um, five days a week and finish at two. Others do some forward planning, that sort of thing. But that's that's the day in a nutshell. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. 
Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Reproducer. One thing that fascinates me about the show is how you get that balance in tone in the hard-hitting news stories, as you mentioned, and then it will go into an Ollie Murs track. And it's, I just find that thing, that in particular, the, the tonal shifts with the music and the news quite fascinating. Is that something that you guys are very conscious of? And like, do you speak to the music scheduling team or the music schedulers? Are they conscious of tracks that they might put in within the show? Or am I overthinking it? You'd know this better than me, but but I, I think for a, a network and a programme and everything of our size, we're quite unusual and quite lucky in that we have a relative amount of flexibility over the music. So, for example, the scheduling team give us a generous helping of, of tracks far more than we will have time to play. So we do have that element of choice. So we are very aware of how musical fit in with stories. So if you're doing something very tragic, we'd always have someone try and check and always fail to spot the hidden lyric that's going to trip us up. Um, yeah, I mean, to- we, we never, we don't really, not care is the wrong word, but for shorthand I'll say we don't care about picking something really silly followed by something really serious or vice versa, because in a funny way, separating them is almost the easiest bit in that you just need the right trail or the right kind of mid-tempo track that doesn't stand out too much or a travel bulletin and you can safely move on. And it sometimes sounds a little bit of jarring when you just hear a trail or summary of the whole show, but it, it rarely reaches one show levels of, well, thanks for that about um, child bereavement, and now potholes in Lancashire. We have a bit of that, but not. It's not. It's not too acute. I mean, listeners might disagree, but no. I mean, what what do you put down to the show's enduring appeal? Because how long has it been going now? Oh, you're challenging me now. Well, it was Jimmy Young before Jeremy Vine, and Jeremy Vine is on, oh, I don't know, 20 years or getting there. Um, so it's been going a very long time. The show's enduring appeal. Um, I mean, Popmaster is very helpful because <laughs> it's right before our show and it's the biggest listened to moment in radio in Europe, I think I'm right in saying. Uh, so that helps. But I guess we're, I think we're really lucky. People are often very kind to us. Oh, you do a great show. I, I think we do a good show. But we're, we're really lucky in the format that we're trying to deliver. We don't have to set the agenda. We don't have to break news. We have to reflect the national agenda and make it accessible for the Radio 2 daytime audience. So we're lucky. We do four things. And by the time we've done something a bit featurey and we've done something maybe a bit lighter... You know, there's only maybe only two or, two or three things a day that are really just... We, we've got a pick of the entire news agenda and we can distill that into a programme. So already we're lucky because we just have to cover the most engaging thing. And the other thing I'd say is, is since it became... It was less so a kind of phone-in with listener voices under Jimmy Young, but since it has been, again, we're very lucky because we have such a sizable audience. We're so lucky with that resource for a phone-in. Um, because we can really cherry pick the callers. I mean, the other week we did 
were you trying to have just just a final baby only to find out you were pregnant with twins and the shock of that I mean, we had multiple people get in touch saying, I had one kid, then I had twins, and then I found out I was having more twins. I mean, wow. you know, we're, we're case, case study central, and we're very <laughs> lucky. So all of that helps to make a, um, a premium product, should we say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when we spoke to Sarah Crawley, who's one of the Women's Hour producers, she told us a couple of things about the programme that's almost like a filter. Um, one of them sounds quite obvious but you know telling stories from a female perspective or through through a kind of female lens was I think the exact phrase she used she also used the expression fearless being fearless in the way that they approach topics does the Jeremy Vine team have a similar like filter or is it more about finding the four topics that create that balance of engagement for the audience as you as you said yeah we don't really have we have really really few rules that's one of the things about our show we've got very few we don't even, people go, oh, can I see your radio clock? We don't even have a clock. We just kind of know it's like music, guests, music, callers, next item, times four. <laughs> um, it's that simple. So I suppose ultimately once we've got a list in the morning meeting of 10, 20, 30 ideas that we could do on the show, it's about the editor on that day to go, right, these four is the right mix. And we do we do try and have a mix. Um, we don't have to have a light story. We often do. We might we'd tr- probably try and avoid doing two different stories about the NHS on a given day. Um, so, yeah, we're looking for a, a broad balance across the two hours in, in tone and pace and seriousness. And we don't want it all to be too um, deathy, to share with you a word that does get used, which is maybe inappropriate. Um, so, yeah, we're always looking for that mix. I'm going to ask you advice in a few minutes, so just a preparation for that, because you know, don't like giving advice. But um, one of the things we like to do is to talk about anybody listening to this might want to come into the industry, uh, specifically in audio production. What would, what would you think we need to do as an industry to nurture the next generation of audio production talent? Oh, I thought you were going to go the other way around. Another hard question, because normally the advice is, oh, how do I get in? But yeah, what do we need mm. to do? Um, I think we need to think carefully about the answers to the question when when people say, can I come in? What is that answer? Who are we giving that answer to? Is it only the people who ask that question that we give an answer to? Can we fund work experience placements? Can we fund travel? Can we let people work from home if they live up north and just want to get an insight into our production processes? Um, I'm providing more um, questions and answers by way of obfuscation, but... uh, (laughs) I think it's those things. I, I, I know on another episode, um, someone mentioned class, for example. Yeah. It's the you know the one that doesn't get talked about. And how do we make sure that we're offering opportunities to people of different uh, class as well as you know diversity and and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, really hard questions to ask. But at least if we think about all those things, when someone comes along and says, "Oh, can I come in and do some work experience?" At least we're getting somewhere. And on a show such as such a high profile show as yours. Is work experience something that you would do or is that down the level somewhat or do you get people coming in just to have a look and see how it works? Yeah, we, we, we do. I mean, um, all work experience is kind of um, formalised across sure. the BBC so it's, and it stopped because of COVID, would you believe it? And um, yeah, so there's, there's like official two-week placements and we have had people come through those and end up having work with us, sometimes very successfully. Oh, that's good. So. But the thing, the other thing we we can offer, and so if you'd ask me what's my bit of advice to people who want to get mm. work experience, um, I always say just find out the name of the appropriate producer and ask if you can just come and watch a show or come and watch what they do, or just come in for an hour or something. 
Because in most organisations, setting up a whole work experience scheme is difficult. In the BBC, it's like, go to the jobs website. But saying, can I come and watch the show for one day? Most most producers are in a position to say, yeah, yeah, fine, come right. on Thursday, okay, see you. So, um, yeah. Okay. And so that's helpful for anyone who wants to come into the industry. If you've got uh, someone who is a you know, budding young producer and wants to do, wants to get on, do you have any advice for them as you know, the best way to make sure that you stand out above a pack? I always think DIY is so useful in that if you don't have all the skills you need, do it yourself. And, and the only way to learn those skills is to do them. So if you think you need to get better at editing audio, for example, well, it's really hard to sit in your bedroom and just, oh, what shall I edit now? Um, start a podcast with your mates. And if two people listen and it's you and your mate, well, fine, you'll get in the habit of recording, editing, you'll figure out all your audio settings, you'll get quicker at it. Same applies now to social media. I'm completely de-skilled in like TikTok and so on, but if I were looking for a new career in the next six months, I'd be on it every day and thinking, how do I create videos? How do I edit videos? How do I... Um, years ago, I started a YouTube channel, not not because I wanted to be a YouTuber, but because I wanted to learn how to right. edit video. And that did come in handy when I started out at Radio 2, and I was able to say, oh, we've got horses coming into the studio. I could film them and do that right. video, right. and I did, and it was useful. So, But only because I'd, I'd, I'd done it myself and tried to learn those skills I would need. So don't, don't wait for the courses and the jobs to come to you. Just always, always be thinking... What else can yeah. I do? No, myself? that makes good sense. And um, take yourself right back to uh, the Uni Radio Station in Edinburgh and uh, the journey that you've come on. Is there any advice that you'd give your younger self that would help you? I'd probably just say, oh, I don't want to be too cheesy, but I'd probably Don't worry, you say, won't be the first. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say you can do it. Like, uh, you know, we can all... It's, it's, a, it's, um, it's a competitive industry, right? We all know that. But everyone's actually quite normal. And the vast majority of people who I know who really, in a dedicated fashion, put their mind to really trying to work in the industry probably did in some way, shape or form, even if it wasn't the way they anticipated. So, yeah, I'd have probably said, yeah, you, you know, you, you can do it and don't worry about it so much and just enjoy it. Yeah. Good life advice generally, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, any reason why the horses were in the studio? I didn't like to ask. <laughs> it was a uh, well. We've done it twice actually. It was um, there was some kind of national grand derby thing for children, I think, and they ride on miniature Shetland ponies. And we just thought, oh, we should get them in and the horses. And then another time, there's a lady who trains up uh, ponies, um, much like you train up a guide dog. So for people who are maybe allergic to dog hair and so on, so we got that horse in. I mean, the complication was that our studios are on the sixth floor. I was going to say, how big are your lifts? Well, there's one just about big <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, I'll send you a link. If you search Radio 2 <laughs> Ponies Visit, okay. I think you'll find the video. I have lift envy now. Ours is tiny. It was, it was a long risk assessment. No, 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 no. they are small lifts. Okay. but they're small, horses, small horses, okay. So. <laughs> I mean, on that, and I'm not saying that that's a weird idea, that's a genius idea, but can you give us an example of an idea that when you were pitching it, you thought, this is so weird, that no, no one's ever going to go for this, and then you ended up working on it and it happened? Oh, you know that week, Phil, when Ed Miliband is presenting mm -hmm. the show? Well, I've got, I've got this press release about... Um, the first death metal stage at Glastonbury. Why don't we try and get the lead singer of Napalm Death to give Ed Miliband a death metal singing <laughs> lesson? He says, all right, it happened. Barney from Napalm Death lead singer came in. Ed Miliband did a, um, a scream, in inverted commas. Yeah, went viral, got in all the papers. Great. Perfect. Excellent. That's, that's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you, Tim. Uh, okay, now it's part of the podcast where um, we ask for predictions about what, 
is going to happen to radio in the future. Do you have any strong ideas about what radio is going to look like, sound like, how our jobs are going to change in the next, say, 10 years? Um, no, it's really hard, isn't it? Does everyone say that? It's really difficult to predict. <laughs> Basically, um, yeah. <laughs> I guess I feel enduringly positive in that for as long as I've been doing this job and guessing about it, you know, we've gone through several patches of fear. And it was, first of all, it was that um, internet radio is going to wipe out traditional radio, uh, FM radio and all that. And then Spotify came along. It's like, well, who on earth is going to listen to any radio when you can choose anything and stream it? And throughout all of that, not only is linear radio um, held firm, but the way... I mean, I was doing podcasts back at Student Radio and then they went out of fashion. But the way they've come back and just exploded, the audio sector's gotten bigger, to my surprise. So even if it's not linear radio you end up working in, there's audio opportunities everywhere, even for like large, large multinationals who want in-house podcasts. Um, so I feel enormously positive about it. Uh, yes, there are going to be increasing challenges on hours just because there's so much choice. So whilst people still like their linear radio, they might go off and spend a bit more time elsewhere. But hopefully maybe that's just more opportunities for all rather than fewer. Um, so I feel good about it. I mean, I'm I guess the the bit of worry that remains is getting young people engaged in anything other than social media that is algorithmically designed to stimulate their brain to such an extent that all I can do is scroll from video to video to video and never want to listen to long-form audio and everything else. But I have um, perhaps a naive hope that just as you get a bit older, people tend to want longer-form audio and more deeper stuff and news and current affairs. And so... I think I, I feel good about it. Good, thank you. That's nice to hear. And and what shows or podcasts do you particularly enjoy listening to? What are your favourites? I'm quite a boring newsy person, so I quite like a lot of news podcasts. Um, I listen to a lot of catch-up ones of existing linear radio programmes simply because I need to have a whole long list of ideas of how to cover current topics in the news every morning. <laughs> so... Just purely for practicality and functionality, I do that. Uh, I really like the, the Tortoise, the slow media outlet Tortoise. They've got a really good news podcast. You've got kind of the dream gig for many people. If you are if you want to be a radio producer on a massively successful show, then that's you. Excellent stuff. Are there any other dream shows or presenters that you haven't worked with that you think, I would like to work on that? I really like... Don't judge me. I won't. I really like statistics. <laughs> Because I'm that kind of guy, really cool guy. And I once applied for a job and didn't get it, but uh, I still harbour just maybe a little attachment one day. I'd really like to work on More or Less on Radio 4. More or Less is a great show. It's so good. I bore the back teeth off my colleagues when someone like uses a percentage wrong or whatever. I'm just like, this. Uh, anyway, I just to have an outlet for that with, amongst um, an audience, both in colleague and actual audience who, who, who share that, might be nice. I think that is nice. That's lovely. Um, I mean, I would say beyond that, uh, um, perhaps an also interesting part of the answer there is that I've been, I've been really, I don't mean to sound immodest, but I've been really spoiled by the yeah. show I work on. Um, and I've got a young family now. And because it's a big show that is Monday to Friday, middle of the day, no weekend work and all that, it's, it's really, and it's got a big audience, and all that, it's kind of really taken, not my ambition, but it's, my next job, if and when, you know, whatever that is, I'm really going to have to weigh up the kind of what hours I want to do and is the presenter a nice person and just, you know, I've been, I've been spoiled. I'm very lucky to have been. Um, so all of that boring life stuff maybe would weigh more heavily on my mind now for my next move. Mm. Well, on that, just to jump in, 
maybe I'm reading into it, but your interest in in moral, I think I think what more or less does so well is it takes a subject that a lot of people might find a little bit impenetrable, or they might not think it relates to them, and they show that it does relate to everyday life, and and in a really warm and accessible way, even though it's quite well, it's very mathy, isn't it? It's quite it's a bit nerdy. Is that kind of what you enjoy about doing broadcast journalism on a show? you know, on a station like Radio 2 and on a show like Jeremy Vines where you are having to really get to the crux of the news story and present it or have it presented in quite an accessible, engaging, entertaining way rather than being too long-formy and, you know, overly detailed. Yeah, I I love it. You've hit the nail on the head. I mean, I I like both. So um, you asked about stuff I was proud of earlier and what I'm interested in. I... I did a piece last year about a, a form of greenwashing that happens with the way you're sold, or you might argue missold, green energy on your tariffs. And that was an original story and quite detailed. And I really enjoyed that as something different. And maybe the key here is difference. So I like the variety. Um, but yes, there's no doubt that taking something complicated and then getting, you know, a listener who doesn't understand it at all in Rotherham, come on and just be entertaining before getting an expert to explain very clearly to them and having their reaction. But sneaking in the really good, meaty news stuff into really entertaining and fun radio that's also fun to make is an absolute joy. I mean, I've been working on an item lately about air fryers. Who isn't talking about air fryers? Um, cooler people than us, that's who. But um, the serious point behind it is, so it's all about the cost of energy and and just those efficiencies you might be able to make on your home. And yes, they won't touch the sides for many people, but we've got a statistician coming in to talk about the kilowatt hour cost of air fryers versus ovens. So to, to jazz that up and get someone in with an air fryer to cook some chips, I'm going to be at home using my oven to cook chips in a kind of race to... To, to dress it up in that way and find a fun way to do that. God, it's a really long risk assessment, by the way, for that. Absurd. Um, that's really fun to get the, the serious bit in there. Excellent. I'm, yes, I'm obsessed with air fryers. Move on. Uh, one, the one thing we haven't asked is about Jeremy, because I, I met Jeremy once at the Arias, and I've never met him before, but he was completely lovely. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that's Jeremy. Yeah, he's a lovely guy, good presenter, we get on well. Um, he's got he's got high standards, but that doesn't mean he's going to be nasty to you if you don't meet them. But we've always gone well. He's always been very supportive, and it's intimidating coming into a show that size. And Phil, my former boss, quite early on realised I was quite good at audio editing, and I kind of carved out for many years a bit of a niche where I made short packages, short reports. And it was always a bit daunting just hearing them go out and thinking, oh, that's that's me on a big programme. And Jeremy was always really nice about it, really supportive. He'd you know, message me, oh, it's really good. And um, so, yeah, I've always gotten really well with him. And he, he brings such an energy yeah. to the programme and a quickness of thought that, um, yeah, it's, I've... I still don't want to move on. No. It's been ten years. Yeah, I've been I've been listening quite a lot lately, and I think the one word I would use to describe him is he's always in control. That's not to say he's controlling. He's just it just feels effortless the way that he moves from story to story and caller to caller, and you know, music back to news story. He just seems completely in control. So, yeah, he's he's very good, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, annoying, annoyingly good. And I think if you were to try and do a radio thesis about really analysing presenting, he does make it sound effortless or whatever, but if you analysed a show, there's a lot of subtle little things in every sentence, link, turns of phrase that I would spend a week trying to come mm-hmm. up with and wouldn't come up with, and that he does just effortlessly. Yeah, it's one of our other guests said that's a paradox of the radio producer because you, you, we, we all know what to do, but we can't do it. 
I listened so closely to your podcast. I know you're talking about Brian Murphy. He was. Uh, he's absolutely right. He's mm. absolutely right. It's like we are so good at pointing out the perfect criticism of what our presenters done. No, but we, we can do, do it. It's nuts, <laughs> isn't it? Well, it's fascinating to talk to you, Tim, and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. We tend to finish off by asking about uh, whether there's a moment in your career that can best be summarised by a couple of uh, phrases um, or, or uh, acronyms, as it OMG is the first one. Is there an OMG moment you could tell us about? Yeah, there's so so <laughs> many. Um, I don't know if it's an industry that lends itself to them or what. Um, can I be greedy and have two? Of course. There's once, and I forgot about this one, and I was thinking about this question because I know you, you yeah. do this on your podcast. And looking back, actually, it was astonishing that one morning, on the morning, we managed to convince a theme park to open on a day they were closed and run a roller coaster, especially for us, just so that we could send a reporter to go on the roller coaster and report on how that roller coaster had beheaded a deer. <laughs> That's, That's so amazing. cool. That's amazing. Um, and the other one, it's all a bit me, 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 but it was a, definitely a jaw on the floor moment where my boss came out at three minutes past the one o'clock news because Jeremy was losing his voice and said, Tim, can you come through here? You're just going to present the second half of the show. So that was quite a quite a. And surprise. how did that go? <laughs> well, I didn't mess it up. So good. I mean, the first item was, you, you're recently bereaved. How will you... How are you feeling about this making it through this Christmas? I was cheerful. National Radio. I know. Radio well, well done for carrying it off. That's an extraordinary thing. That's that's, that's literally. Does <laughs> well, anyone on happened. the aeroplane know how to fly it? That's one of those, isn't it? The other um, <laughs> the other one we talk about is uh, FFS. You'll know this as you listen to our podcast avidly. I'm very impressed by that. Thank you. So, <laughs> do you have an FFS moment? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be greedy again. Uh, another two. One is that the. I mean, we kind of talked about it a bit earlier, but the music scheduling. The music schedules are lovely, but the, the computer, the algorithm, somehow knows what we're doing and manages to hijack it with lyrics that we didn't quite see coming. There are so many examples I could give. Most of them are inappropriate to to even give. But, for example, there were in South Africa. We were, I can't remember what the item was, but basically there was an anecdote about two giraffes oh. on a low loader being transported, unfortunately, oh, God, went over no. a low bridge. Under a low bridge, I should say, crucially. And anyway, and, and the next bit of music schedule was uh, Bits and Pieces by the Dave Clark Five. It's just little things like that. And I always think, oh, didn't see that coming. And the other thing, and this is a BBC-wide, maybe an industry-wide thing, the printers never work. And every time I say FFS. They do make printers complicated, don't they? We have printers in Bauer that you have to put I codes mean, in and things so that I guess they know how, who's printing the most or something. But goodness me, they're tricky. I mean, I know we should probably just modernise, but... Come on, fix the printers. The thing we didn't mention about printers there was that the uh, the other trick we get uh, in radio stations, for those who haven't been, is that uh, nobody likes to put new paper in. So going to the printer and there's no paper, uh, when you do put paper in, if you can be bothered, you get the last 10 print jobs that somebody hasn't printed out to deal with first. But, and then it runs out of paper again before it prints yours out. Just saying. And then the standoff continues. It continues. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was lovely to chat to Tim about working on the Jeremy Vine show. What were your main kind of takeaways from our conversation, Mark? The, the relationship with the audience, it, it is a unique one. And it's, uh, you know, as I say, over 7 million people listen to that show. But they don't just listen to it. They engage with it in a really unique way. And when he talked about how important it is that they engage and or the way that they engage and the, the level of work they put into the stories and just finding those stories. 
Yeah, it uh, must be a great show to work on. It really must. Very rewarding, I would think. Definitely. And I love how the create the more creative the approach, the better is, is kind of what it seems. Um, so we've spoken to lots of other radio producers as part of this podcast series. If you haven't yet heard our chat with Jackie Blay, finding out about her work producing regional breakfast shows across Yorkshire and Lincolnshire for Bauer. Or there's also our conversation with Hussein Husseini. He tells us what it's like to be the morning's editor at Times Radio. Then do check out Reproducer on your preferred podcast platform. And remember to follow or subscribe for future episodes. Reproducer. Reproducer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.